Please take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 27. We are the last five verses of Proverbs 27 will be in Proverbs 27, 23 through 27. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that it is nice to have some farmers in our congregation and just want to say thank you to the people who helped answer some questions throughout the week um, and allowed me to bounce some ideas off of you as I prepared for this sermon today. Other than a 10-day stint at the Pearson's Farms, I don't know a lot about goats, so it was nice to have a little bit of help. So, um, We are today in Proverbs 27, beginning in verse 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass grows from the hills and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat milks to feed you and your family to nourish your servant girls. Let us pray. Great God who provides, you have called us to hear when you call and to pursue holiness as we hear you. We come to your word today seeking to find the life that you promised to those who listen diligently to you. May we delight in the riches found in this passage today and may we remember that you have established an eternal covenant of righteousness with us through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We do talk about wealth quite a bit in our country, and and one of the subjects that we talk about when we discuss wealth is the idea of generational wealth. Now, generational wealth is one of those fancy economic or political terms that just means that one generation builds wealth and passes it on to the next. And there's an assumption within our culture that people like that all wealth comes from people like Sam Walton who grew Walmart and then passed that wealth on to his children, or the DuPonts who grew wealth and passed that on to their children, or even the Windsors in England who grew wealth and then or actually gained wealth as they took the throne and then passed it on to their children. And the basic assumption, as I said, is that most generational wealth sticks for generation after generation after generation making this class of people who have wealth that they didn't earn. Well, last year, MarketWatch compiled several studies that had been done over the years in an attempt to understand how much wealth is actually generational wealth. And in their research, they found out something. If 100 people earned enough wealth in order to be considered independently wealthy and then passed that on to their children... 70 of those 100 fortunes would be gone by the end of their children's life. A total of 90 of them would be gone by the end of their grandchildren's life. Generational wealth is fleeting. It is only a bare minimum of those, those, those fortunes that remain beyond 100 years. And this is not a new lesson. Solomon warned Rehoboam of this in verse 24. When he says, for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. Part of Solomon's goal in teaching Rehoboam all of this wisdom was to help him find a way to secure the crown and the wealth that Solomon was passing on. And in this passage today, we're going to look at two different ways. One way that Solomon says he can preserve his wealth 
And one way that Solomon says he can preserve the monarchy. First, we learn that we preserve wealth through God, through a harmonious balance between God's providence and our work. Psalm 149, verses 7 through 9, tell us this about God. 147, verses 7 through 9 says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain. And he makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. The picture here is that God makes the clouds grow fat with moisture so that as the temperature conditions and humidity conditions are just right, the rain will begin to fall. And as that rain falls on the ground, it will produce grass, it will produce flowers, it will produce fruit that the animals can eat and be sustained in their life. And Solomon builds upon that reality in our lesson from Proverbs today. He says in verse 25, he says, when hay is removed, a new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in. The picture here is we have the hay and the grass that grows is at the late winter, when the late winter rains would fall, this woody and yet nutritious weed like substance would grow up quickly, would spring up in the fields. And it was just what the flocks of Israel needed at the end of a winter after living off their winter hay. It provided the nutrients. It provided other things that they needed to be to be sustained through the coming year after being wintered. But there was something about that in in that it's a very short lived thing, because as soon as the sun from spring uh, pops out and and shines upon this weed you only have a couple weeks to harvest it otherwise it just withers and becomes worthless for usage as uh, feed for your flocks but it also had another consequence if you didn't harvest it quickly the softer grasses that would grow up after it would not be able to grow if you did not remove this plant from the area And then not only would you lose those nutrients that your flocks would need at the beginning, you would lose the later grasses and the winter hay that you would need to winter your flocks over time. And so what Solomon is saying here is that there's a a wealth that, yes, there is generational wealth that I'm going to pass on to you. But, you know, God's going to provide things like rain and hay And all these things that your flocks will need to eat. But you've got to work to make them productive. Yes, God is a God of providence. Yes, God is a God who provides. But we have to have a balance of our work as God provides. He doesn't give us the finished product. He gives us resources that we can use to make the product. And and Solomon says, if you manage your fields right, you're going to have male and female goats that will produce for you and lambs that will produce for you the things that you need, mainly clothing and food. I did learn this week by talking to people that, you know, there are hair goats as well, that you can shear the goats and get the hair to make clothing. But uh, apart from the the wool from sheep and the hair from the hair goats, um, you know, they also provide skins for you so you can make clothing from these goats and lambs that are fed by the hay. Also, you might every now and then sell sell off a male goat because if you were using uh, 
seeking to raise dairy goats and providing milk and curds for your family. You don't need as many males as you do females. So you might sell off a male goat every now and then so that you can get money and maybe buy some more fields for uh, pasturing or for growing of hay. And of course, in this culture that, that Solomon's writing to, they relied upon goats quite a bit for milk and for these curds, kind of a cottage cheese-like curds that have been around for thousands of years. And so, you know, you'd have the female goats. As long as you manage the hay just right, you would have everything you needed in your flocks for your flocks to produce and to give you what you needed to be secure in your wealth. And Solomon points all of the or points to all of this to remind Rehoboam and you that there has to be a wise and harmonious balance between what God provides for us in nature and what we do with that. What we do with what he provides in order to maintain our households. Does God provide? Absolutely. Yes, he does. He still provides things for you today. Things that you can use to uh, build a home, to provide safety and security and sustenance for your family. We talk a lot about the haves and the have nots in our society, people with wealth and people without wealth. And, And part of that difference, and yes, I realize that we live in a fallen world and this is probably only part of the difference. But part of the difference is what we do with what God has given to us. Do we sit there and just watch it? Or do we actually seek to take and and balance between God's providence and our work in order to grow provision for ourselves and for our families? God has given us tremendous economic resources in our country. But if we don't do anything to build on those resources, they will slip through our fingers. God has given you tremendous economic resources in your home. But if you don't do anything with them, they will slip and they will decay. The same goes for our maturity in Christ. God has given us tremendous resources for our growth and holiness. But if we don't use them, we move backward in our Christian maturity rather than staying stagnant. So what has God given us for our Christian maturity? On the human side, we talked in Sunday school, he's given us parents, godly parents, especially the parents in this church who are are trying to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. He's given us pastors and teachers, we're told in Ephesians 4. He's given us the scriptures. He's given us solid biblical books of people who seek to expound the scriptures and teach us how to live according to God's holy standards. On the heart side of the equation, he's given us a holy heart necessary to successfully pursue a holy life. He's given us the spirit to guide us in holiness. And he's given us the cross as the source of our redemption and reconciliation so that we stand before God as beloved children rather than sin-enslaved rebels. Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God has given us so much toward our salvation and we are called to use it to grow in in humility, in holiness, in fear and in love for him. Economic and spiritual wealth is preserved through the wise and harmonious balance between what God has provided 
and our work. But Solomon wasn't just helping him preserve his wealth. He was helping him preserve the monarchy as well, preserve the crown, as he says in verse 24. And the way he does this is through shepherding his people well. Still tapping into the farming imagery, Solomon calls on Rehoboam to be sure that he knows the condition of his flocks. Now, this is more than just a statistical knowledge of how many sheep or goats or or cows or whatever livestock that he might have. It's, you know, a good bit of West Virginia's cattle industry is focused on finishing cows. They're raised, they're fed, they're gotten to a certain age, a certain weight somewhere else, and then they're brought in here to feed on the lush grasses of the Greenbrier Valley to to finish them off before they're taken to the slaughterhouse. And, you know, if you're a large-scale factory farmer, what do you need to know about your flocks? Well, as long as you know where they are and how many you have, that's basically it. But the words that Solomon uses here are not words that point to that type of knowledge of your flocks. The word for know in verse 23 is a word with wide range meaning in the Old Testament. It means everything from that bare basic statistical knowledge to the intimate knowledge between a husband and a wife. And the word condition there is literally know the face of your flocks. Solomon is calling Rehoboam to have a deep knowledge of his flocks. For a brief time, we we bought from, well, we still buy beef from a local uh, grower, a local beef provider, but we bought one from a different one in the past. And when we first met her, we got to know her. I was just asking her questions about her cows, about her herds about where they where they're pastured, where they were slaughtered. I was really just being friendly. I didn't know a whole lot about, you know, cows other than, you know, where to find them in the meat department at the grocery store. But um, I was asking her these questions, just trying to learn about it. And she gave answers in such a way that I could tell she knew her cows. She had names for them, which to me is a little bit, you know, I don't know that I could name an animal I was eventually going to slaughter and eat, but she had names for them. She knew when they were born. I mean, like I know when my kids are born, she knew when her cows were born. She she teared up as we talked about the process of how they leave her farm and became hamburger for me. That's the picture that Rehoboam has or that Solomon is giving Rehoboam in this particular In this particular verse here, verse 23, he says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. The the picture, the word picture, the metaphor that he's using here is one that shows up throughout Scripture. And it's applied to David, to Moses, to Jesus, to God the Father as well. And it's the metaphor of a shepherd. We ask about leadership in the church. We ask about leadership for God's people. And the picture that he gives us is the shepherd. As a king, a man with power and wealth, the temptation for Rehoboam is going to be removed and aloof and above his subjects. But Solomon says, if you truly want to secure the monarchy, get down with your people. Know what makes them tick. Know what their hopes are. Know what their dreams are. Learn how you can best serve them and seek to help them as the man that God has appointed over them to lead and to rule as God's representative. And throughout the scriptures, the shepherd metaphor is applied to three offices, to the prophet, to the priest, and to the king. 
God calls men to him to lead and guide his people as shepherds. And as the shepherds of Israel, they were supposed to feed the sheep on God's word and God's will for their lives. The shepherds of Israel were called to heal the sick, to bind up the injured and to strengthen the weak. The shepherds of Israel were tasked with searching for and bringing back the strays. They were supposed to protect the flocks entrusted to them from weather, from thieves and from wild beasts. If the sheep were scattered, the shepherds of Israel were supposed to gather them back into the safety of the flock. Shepherds live lives of sacrificial service and stewardship so that the sheep can be safe and secure. Solomon is calling Rehoboam to rule as a shepherd and not as a spoiled tyrant. The sad reality, as we talked about in Sunday school today, is that Rehoboam failed miserably. When his people came to him with their concerns, Our taxes are too high. Our work burden is too high. The temple is finished. The palace is finished. Let us have our sons and daughters back so we can work our farms, so we can provide and produce for ourselves. Rehoboam says, you think it was hard under my dad. Wait till you see what I do to you. And unfortunately, that's the sad reality of most of the shepherds that God called throughout the history of his people. In fact, in Ezekiel 34 He tries and convicts the shepherds of Israel because they have not fed the sheep. In fact, they have fed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. They have not brought relief to the weak. They have not brought relief to the sick or to the injured. They have not rescued the strays and the scattered. They have not protected the flocks from the dangers around them. Instead of shepherding the sheep entrusted to them, the shepherds of Israel have abused and fed on the sheep under their care. And in Ezekiel 34, God says it has gotten so bad that I will remove all of the evil shepherds and I myself will be the shepherd of Israel. I encourage you later on sometime this week to sit down with John 10 and Ezekiel 34 and compare them. And you'll see, as Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. You will see that everything that they fail at, Jesus succeeds at he is the good shepherd who truly knows his sheep he knows your dreams he knows your hopes he knows your tears he knows your struggles he knows where you sin he knows where you fail him and he knows that in the midst of that failure that you need his love and his compassion and to show that love and compassion he willingly laid down his life and took it back up again so that we could have reconciliation with god so that we could be children rather than slaves. And so that we can be shepherds of the flock that he has placed over us. Elders, you and I have been called to shepherd this flock. Paul told the Ephesian elders that they were to protect their flock from the dangers of false teaching. Paul told Titus to train up elders who would know and care for the sheep God had entrusted them with. In fact, that verse I I alluded to earlier, Ephesians 4.11, where Paul says that God has given pastors and teachers. That word pastor is literally shepherd. God has given shepherds and teachers to this flock. Deacons, you have been called to shepherd the physical needs of this flock. As important as maintaining the physical resources of this building is, your call is to shepherd the physical needs of this congregation and this community. Fathers and mothers, you have been tasked with shepherding your families. What are you doing to protect your children from the false teachings of this world? 
Single people, you have been called to shepherd your friend groups. What are you doing in your own life to pursue holiness and in the lives of your friend to help them pursue holiness in their work and in their leisure? And I understand that many of these groups overflow, overlap. Each of us has been called in some way, shape, or form to shepherd some flock in our life. We are called to do that well. We are called to follow the example of Christ and to trust in him to give us the strength and the means by which we may shepherd. You secure and preserve your flock by shepherding them well. What do we do with the resources and people that God has provided for us? Do we work with the resources and shepherd the people in such a way that we add value, both economic and spiritual, to our lives? God provides, but he calls us to work. God brings people into our lives and we are called to shepherd them. To secure and preserve our lives, we must rely upon the God who gives us the resources and the people. We must work in harmonious balance with him and shepherd one another well. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, thank you for the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And thank you from drawing us from the thieves and from the hired hands and drawing us into your fold, into your flock, so that we might be your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. Remind us that you are our God. Remind us that we are called to serve you well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave this place today, take this blessing upon you. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with you in truth and in love. And the basis of our future hope is in the reality that Jesus will return soon. So we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.